some words from 2,000 years ago. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, it's sin living in me. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Is that you? It's me. And if it's me, am I confused? Am I conflicted? Or am I just plumb crazy? We've all felt the effects of that struggle in our souls, our poor choices. It's like an odor in the room that you can't identify or remove. The Bible calls it sin. It's called evil and malfunction and injustice in our culture. It's brokenness. And we all have this brokenness that we can't shake. We try to justify it. It's justified in locker rooms as teams hold up uh, trophies that they won, perhaps by cheating. The brokenness is the stuff that makes movies and is legends in movies. And the brokenness is prosecuted in courts of law. From personal offenses to systemic evils, sin has stained the fiber of humanity and it all started in a garden. And welcome to First Christian Church. Very, I'm very glad you're with us here today in the West, in the East, in Lovington, and those of you participating in church online. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team and we're going to take a different approach to our sermon together today. You know, intentionally... Um, when anyone's preaching from First Christian Church's stage, we direct you to open your Bible and look at a particular passage for a variety of reasons that we make certain you open your Bible or you look at it on your smartphone. We want you to get in the habit of what, knowing what it feels like and how to find your way through the Bible. But for today, all the scriptures will be on the screen because we're doing something different completely today. So, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. More crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? Really? Really? And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat, we, pardon, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of that tree that's in the middle of the garden or you'll die. You'll Right, you'll surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband. He ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then God came calling. God called to Adam. Where are you? And he answered, well, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid I was naked, so I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, uh, that woman you put here with me? She gave me some fruit in the tree and I ate it. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
to the woman, God said, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat food from, all the, from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He banished them from the Garden of Eden. And so there you have Genesis 3. Friends, the beginning of all your troubles. It's quite a story. As author and Professor Mark Moore states in his book, Core 52, it's got, if you think about it, it's got the makings of a movie. Think of the characters. A naked woman, a talking serpent, forbidden fruit, and a passive husband idly standing by. There's a movie scene right there, right? Hear it again. A naked woman, a talking serpent, forbidden fruit, and a passive husband idly standing by. Now, we know that Eve knew that the fruit was off limits. Yet the serpent's seduction won the day. She took the bait in a bite while her husband stood dumb but not deaf beside her, and her eyes were open to evil, to her naked body, and to the coming curse. And from that place, from that moment, from that ground zero, disease, sin, and death has slowly crept across humanity's story. Now, I think we all would acknowledge that um, Eve's failure in the garden is neither far removed nor uncommon. It is the shared experience of humanity. It's your story, it's my story. She had a problem, we, had a, we have a problem. And I suppose we should slow down long enough to ask, what's her problem? Because if we can figure out what her problem is, we might figure out what our problem is. So, um, what captured Eve's attention? It's the same thing that captures our attention. Eve saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was something to be desired that would hopefully make someone wise. And she was seduced by Satan's half-truth. He said, if you eat from this, you'll be like God. Well, isn't that the struggle? It's the struggle of self-determination, the promise that we can direct our own affairs and determine our own destinies. And pride becomes our Achilles heel. But friends, pride isn't merely a sin, it is the sin. Think about what I want, what I, my will over everyone else's good is more important. So that pride is the genesis of every murder, every theft, every lie, every adultery, every addiction. Every time, pride is at the root of why we prioritize our will over everyone else's good, even God's good. And Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus today, are called to live differently than that. We are called to um, carry a cross, to lay down our lives, to be crucified with Christ. Now, we understand there are some things that can be, can be good for us, things like self-improvement or self-respect, I mean, or self-management, but Christians realize those things, while good enough themselves, will not rescue us from the grip of sin. Instead, what Christians say, it is self-extermination, the annihilation of our pride that brings us freedom because we have a problem. We have Sin. We have temptations. Fleshly desires. It's not, it's not wrong to be tempted. It's what you do with that temptation. 
fleshly desires, visual cravings, social position. They are the core of Satan's arsenal. Now, when we add our pride to that, and you end up with things like the prides of passion, possession, and position. Passion, possession, and position can be good or they can be evil. Passion is what causes us to fall in love and procreate. Possessions causes us to say, I need to, pre- I need to plan for my future and to plan for my family. Position can be good when it says, I'm not going to be trampled on. I'm not going to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not going to, um, I'm going to know who I am in God. They can all be good, but they can also be used by evil. When we have feelings or emotions and experiences that are forbidden, namely passion. When there are things that we simply want, we can't afford or shouldn't have, but we want them, possessions. There's recognition that we deserve, we say, it escapes us always, and that's position. Things like immoral sexual practices, money and power. It's what we fall prey to. And may I remind you, friends, that Satan lies. Satan always lies. He lied to Eve. He said, sure, you, you're not going to die just because you do that. Did she die? No, not right then. But she did die. You know, death wasn't part of the original plan. We all die because of Adam and Eve's choice. And the point is this. What Satan communicates is seldom entirely fabrication. That wouldn't be effective. It, would, it wouldn't be effective for, for Satan to come to you and say, this round peg is square. Any fool could see past that. Rather, he misdirects, he misinforms, he misre- misrepresents two half-truths. When he promises pleasure in a bed or a bottle, he does hold up his end of the bargain in the short run. In the short run, it then seems like, well, he must be sincere, but what he holds close to his chest is the trump card of long-term consequences. There's, pursuit, there's, there's, there's pleasure in the pursuit of money, in the buzz of a drug, in the frenzy of popularity. Make no mistake, Satan seldom makes promises that he doesn't at least initially and partially keep. But what he keeps hidden is the price tag. By the time we've signed the agreement, the charges on the ticket leave us bankrupt, breathless, and ashamed. So what happened to Adam and Eve? Well, where did they they end up? Well, Scripture tells us that God cursed them. God found them guilty. He put a charge in front of them and found them guilty of mutiny. That's right. It wasn't merely theft. It wasn't taking the apple, if you will. It was mutiny. God's rages, his wrath rages, if you will, not for the loss of property, but for the full frontal assault on his position. Think about, the, think about it this way. God created this wonder, wonderful universe and there's so much stuff in it at our disposal and there's stuff, so much stuff within it that we don't even know that's out there yet. So the loss of one fruit from one tree is hardly a damning offense. His curse, pardon me, his concern was not trespassing, but mutiny. And for that we are cursed. Eve, eyeing the prospect of becoming like God, took the bait and built. And in that momentary indiscretion, she was divorced from the divine. And that is what is so despicable. She had the audacity to challenge God's eternal wisdom, his divine plan, his creative genius, genius, and his spiritual authority. And we too also commit outrageous mutiny when we declare ourselves sovereign. And because in reality, we know that no human has the capacity, capacity to manage deification. That's why we would say emperors and 
kings and dictators and politicians and celebrities and clergy and you and me, we can all implode under the weight of our own arrogance. For their mutiny, Adam and Eve had to wear more than just animal skins. No, the new vestment they had to wear was the burden of God's curse along with those animal skins. The woman would experience intense pain when she bore children. She'd be at odds with her husband. The man would earn a living only by the sweat of his brow. And for our mutiny, what should we expect? Shouldn't we expect the same thing, exile? Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden for their own good. And sometimes people say, man, if we could only get back to the garden. Well, no, that's not the point. The garden is not your goal. Knowing the heart of God is the goal. God wants to know you and has gone to extreme lengths to invite you into a relationship with him. And so in the midst of your problem, here's the good news. God has provided a golden ticket. A golden ticket that gives ships passage and escape away from the mess. What's on the golden ticket? Two things to tell you today. First of all, our creator sent his son to pay the price to remove the curse of sin. And since you're with us in worship today, I would expect that you probably know something about Jesus. You may not know all of this, but Jesus came to remove the garden's curse from your life. And his death on the, on the cross was the price, the cost, that you and I should have paid in order to be redeemed. And Jesus' followers are no longer aboard the hellbound ship. Instead, we are released from the list of those in the crew who participated in the mutiny against God. And all humans are part of that list apart from the work of Jesus Christ. You're on that manifest if you don't know Jesus Christ. We have all succumbed to the prides of passion, possession, and position. There are cravings that we want to soothe in illegitimate ways. There are things we want, and we want recognition from the so-called people of importance. But Christians instead say, we choose to accept the death of Jesus Christ as our death. And we say, I believe Jesus, you died for me. And the forgiveness of my sins, this is great news, the forgiveness of my sins, it, it's eternally put in place. I am forgiven. All that brokenness is gone. It's all great. However, Aren't there days when it feels like the sins of passion, possession, and position are right here on the tip of our tongues, right here in our hands, or right deep within us? I'm forgiven, but I so easily can speak evil. I so easily can do evil. And I so easily can think evil. It's all forgiven, but why do I still live and act out that brokenness? What should you do? There's probably days when you're like me when I'm inclined to moan a little bit and say, if only I could be like one of Jesus' disciples. They had it so good. They had Jesus with them basically 24-7. So when there was a struggle, when they were wondering about a sin of possession, when they had a passion that was running amok, when they had 
And they wanted to be in the muckety-muck, up-and-comers, up if you will. And if, when it was all out there, they, they could just go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what should I do about this? And God's direction was right beside them all the time. Man, if I only had that option, I could deal with my stuff so much more effectively. Well, friends, remember I said there's the golden ticket that's got two things on it? The salvation provided in Jesus Christ. Here's the other part that's on that. Jesus, the Son of God, sent his Holy Spirit to support us so we can do better than Adam and Eve ever did. And my question for you today is this. You may know Jesus. I'm glad if you do. If you don't, we can fix that before we leave here today. But if you know Jesus, do you also know the Holy Spirit? And believe it or not, everything that I've said 16 and a half minutes in is introduction to today's sermon. It's leading outside. You didn't want to go outside earlier ways, did you? And what we're doing is we're taking some weeks to describe the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this week we're doing some deep theology. And I want to commend you for hanging with me so far. You go, Wayne, where's the stories? Where's the historical stuff? Well, that'll be next week. Congratulations for doing some deep theology with me today because... Next week, we'll discover how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are demonstrated in you and in our church. And then after that, God's image, we'll look at how that the Imago Dei, the image of God within you, is made more visible through those gifts. But for today, I'm proud of the fact we're doing some pretty heavy stuff with this in mind. If you're part of the life of the church, you need to learn about the Holy Spirit's role in your life and in this church. And around here we have four values, four, four core values that we hold tightly to say, this is the way in which we do life together, this is the way in which we do ministry. We say, first of all, that we respond to God's word, that the scriptures are our highest priority, that if the Bible says it, we do it. When there's questions about how we do life, we'll look at scripture. We say that we build community, both here inside the walls and outside the walls. We say that we embrace change, that we do not want to be the church we were 10 years ago. And we anticipate that 10 years from now we'll be a different church again. We're planning for the future. And then finally, how we plan for the future as we look at Scripture and embrace change is we ask the Holy Spirit to be engaged. We encounter the Holy Spirit. And that is who we are and what we do around here. And it's been our history for the last decades. It's what we've done as a church. Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do in light of what Scripture says, in light of what the community needs? So we've sort of got that figured out a little bit, if, you, if I may say, as a church. But have you got that figured out in your own life? Is the Holy Spirit not only part of your church's history? Is the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit part of your history as well? And maybe some are here today and you don't know much about the Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, let me back up a little bit and tell you that the Holy Spirit is found throughout all of Scripture. For example, uh, there's a scene in Jesus' life when he's hanging out with his cousin, John the Baptist. Uh, say his cousin, it really is probably. So his mother and John the Baptist's mother were second cousins. I don't know what that makes him. Fourth cousin? Something like that. Anyways, they're hanging out together. And as they're together, a loud voice shows up from heaven. They can hear it. This loud voice, it's God the Father, acknowledging Jesus as God's Son. And the scriptures say that a dove representing and signifying the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes out of the sky, out of the heavens, and lands on Jesus. And that image of the dove is part of the biblical and church history. Um, in fact, here's a nerd note. Only nerds can listen. So if you're not a nerd, don't listen. Some of you are listening and you're not nerds. Do not listen to this, okay? 
The Dead Sea Scrolls give us a little bit of indication. Nerds, you're listening, right? Non-nerds, get a 30-second break here, okay? The Dead Sea Scrolls are, um, are some fascinating um, passages of Scripture. They're probably our oldest, uh, some of the oldest manuscripts we have of Scripture, dating back some 1,800 to 2,000 years, and it's a really cool stuff. One of them has a dove figure representing the Holy Spirit hovering over the saints in the last days of history. And uh, if you're not a nerd, you can start listening again now, okay? The point being, there's been this understanding throughout the church that the Holy Spirit is represented by a dove. And um, you go, well, so it's got the Holy Spirit kind of hovering over the saints in the last days of history. Well, I don't know if we're in the last days of history, and I certainly don't need the Holy Spirit hovering up there. I, I need something a little more concrete than that. How does that help me, that Holy Spirit up there? I need Jesus beside me like the disciples had, if I'm going to deal with my inclination towards sins of passion, possession, and position. Well, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. It's going to be on the screens from John chapter 14. Because Jesus addressed this matter of what it's going to be like to have the Holy Spirit right beside us. He, um, he says to his disciples, it's just a matter of hours or so, uh, three or four days maybe, before he's about to be executed. And he says to his disciples, hey, you need to know, um, I'm going to leave you. What do you mean you're going to leave us? And at that point, they didn't even understand he was going to die, but you're going to leave us. Don't, I mean, Jesus, we, we, we've been working together for all these months. We've been on the road with you. Our, our feet are tired. We've done all kinds of crazy things. And we're just getting to the place where there's going to be, we're going to be in a really sweet position with all the muckety-mucks of our nation. And Jesus says, no, I'm leaving you. And they're freaked out. What? How will we manage how will we deal with our own inclinations to sin? And Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father. And he'll give you another advocate, a comforter, to be with you, to help you, and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So it's going to be like I'm right here. So, so stop freaking out. Be, 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 listen up, guys. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you peace like the world gives. It's not like peace that ebbs and flows. Instead, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid because my Holy Spirit is going to be right with you. What it means is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is completing Jesus' ministry in you as if Jesus Christ were walking right beside you. Scripture is clear that Jesus' followers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. As a matter of fact, in, in, when, when he said he's sending another, another advocate, another counselor, the Greek word there is paraclete, parakletos, and it literally means someone who is going to walk, is called alongside to help so that when you're walking this way, there's the Spirit of God walking with you. When you're called to go over this way and you're going off to work, you're going off to school, the Spirit of God is walking right beside you. When you're about to step into that relationship that's not right, the Spirit of God can be right there saying, no, this isn't a good idea. When you're about to push that button on the computer, the Holy Spirit says, no, this is not a good idea. You know, there are times when there's this nudge within us and we just ignore it. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. Cartoonists have typically put it as a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other side. And that's a bunch of malarkey. 
No. Those nudges to do right when right needs to be done and those nudges to forego wrong when wrong should be forsaken, that's the work of the Holy Spirit calling you to make great choices. Those nudges to say, this is the way we should go and not that way. That's like when the disciples are coming with Jesus to a fork in the road. Are we going to go north or south? And Jesus says, we're going north. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. So don't be troubled or afraid of going it alone. The followers of Jesus Christ are forgiven and we are also accompanied by the Holy Spirit. It's as if we're walking with the disciples you know, in their band. We're walking with Jesus day by day, moment by moment. In other words, regarding the questions that I posed at the beginning of our time together, do you remember? Copy and paste right here. How do you deal with the brokenness within you? This is what I said. We can feel the effects of brokenness in our souls, our poor choices. It's like an odor in the room that we can't identify. It's called sin in the Bible. In our culture, it's called evil and malfunction and injustice. And we have this brokenness that... We can't shake, it seems, and yet we try to justify it. Its effects are justified in the locker room. Trophies that were won incorrectly through cheating. It's the stuff of legends in movies. It's the stuff that is prosecuted in courts of law. And from personal offenses to systemic evils, sin has stained the fiber of humanity. And friend, it has impacted you and me, but I've got great news for you. That brokenness... That brokenness can be changed through the work of the Holy Spirit. It can be healed. Not just forgiven. That's one thing. That's great. But it can also be healed because the Holy Spirit walking alongside you brings conviction of sin, maturity in Christian living, comfort in grief, information for growth and change, direction for decisions, and power for personal ministry. And so you're wondering, great, that's all good stuff. That's deep theology, Pastor. What do we do with it this week? Well, let me give you some ideas. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, ask Jesus Christ to apply his work on the cross to your life. Receive divine forgiveness for the brokenness that you face. Remove the curse of your mutiny. Get your name off the manifest of that list. Pardon me, get your name off the manifest, that list, if you will, of that hellbound ship. Get there. And then secondly, once the sins are forgiven, stop living in them. You know what they are. It is those moments when passion runs amok. What has been good and is good has been used for the, in the wrong way. It's those moments when your desire for things that are right for your family actually turn into, um, can we use the word lust in a non-sexual way? You want things so badly, it's deep within you. Or you just want to be recognized by all the right kids at school or all the right people at work so you can get the right promotions. Ask the Holy Spirit to change your inclination to remain living in your brokenness. Friend, you are forgiven. All the stuff of the past and the present is forgiven. It's that Your mutiny against God is done with. That forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ, but then through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within you, your life can be different this week. One last action item in response to this week, some homework. I'd invite you to read Acts chapter 1 and 2, please, because we're going to look at start looking there next week, and I think it'd be helpful if you had some background to that. But for today, be aware of this. 
the junk, the ugliness, the stuff of your life that you have brought to God and had forgiven at the cross, it doesn't have to remain with you. It's forgiven and you do not have to walk in those patterns of sin again. Why? Because it's as if you're one of the disciples walking with Jesus and saying, God, I need to know what to do about this right now. Give me the right nudge. And you know what? God says, Jesus himself said, our Savior and forgiver said this, the Holy Spirit will be within you and will teach you all things. I'm up for listening this week. I'm up for change of behavior in my life. I'm up for doing things differently based on his work and his word within me. Let's pray together. Father, our God in heaven, I pray two things today, Lord. First of all, anyone here, anyone participating in worship today, here in the West and the East and Lovington online, anyone, Lord, who doesn't know you through the work of your son Jesus on the cross, I pray, Lord, that that person would step into the forgiveness of sins, that that person would experience your work within them, that the junk of the past would be forgiven. And then, Lord, for all of us who have already experienced that forgiveness, I pray that our lives this week will be different. Lord, I'm asking that you'll help me, help my friends here. Help me, Lord, to step away from patterns of the past. Yeah, I get that they're all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his cross. But Lord, I don't want to just keep repeating them either. I don't want my family to have to deal with the brokenness within me. I don't want my fellow workers or my community, Lord, to um, just go, well, that's the way Wayne is. Instead, through the power and work of your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you'll, you'll give me great ears a great heart to hear the work of your spirit. And Lord, I know that prayer is echoed by hundreds of people today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.